Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter. I'm here with Bronan Ely, who is our social media coordinator and debut author. And we are here with Tara Moss, who has a new novel, Dead Man Switch. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Tara, do you want to introduce us to the incredible Billy Walker? Oh, yes. What can I say about Billy Walker? She is my new crime protagonist in Dead Man Switch, um, and she... She's a character that I've developed over really the last seven years after Mac Van Der Waal, trying to find, you know, who am I going to write about? What is this period that I'm going to write about? What I chose was Billy Walker in 1946 Sydney. So she is um, a woman who's returned from the war, being a war reporter. She's come back into Australia, and like so many women at that time, she'd been involved in the, um, the war in some aspect, whether working in a factory or, in Billy's case, as a reporter. And then she returns home, the war is over, and they all say kind of, thank you very much, you can get back into the kitchens now, mm. ladies. And she's not that kind of woman, and uh, also a lot of other women that didn't work for them either. So it's an interesting time to to look at in terms of the social changes and Billy Walker is a very interesting woman for that time. The um, book recently was sold into uh, Canada and the US and in the trades they wrote this incredible um, line about her which I hadn't written in. It was my one of my first um, experiences of seeing how she's interpreted by other people and the quote just sticks with me. It was Billy Walker, a staunchly feminist champagne-swilling, fast-driving Nazi hunter investigator, quote-unquote. And I was like, boom, like, yes. yes. I was like, I want to join that girl gang. Like, she just sounds amazing. And she is, that is very apt for her. So I ended up creating a character, basically, that I want to hang out with. So did Billy come first or did this time in space come first? The time came first in that I've been fascinated by and drawn to the 1940s all my life. I grew up on stories of World War II from my Oma and Opa in particular, and this book is dedicated to them. Um, and the immediate post-war period that I've chosen in early 1946, of course, is interesting for that those social changes that I mentioned earlier. So the 40s is kind of it's kind of my decade for vintage, for film, for hard-boiled. And, and noir, this is a period that I've been drawn to for a long time. And then it was kind of, who do I want to see there in the 40s? And that's Billy. You know, she Perfect match. grew <laughs> just organically through the process of kind of researching and thinking about what I wanted to do. And it kind of feels like, oh, my goodness, how could I have not written something said in the 40s before? It's almost surprising. I know. It really, really mm. just speaks to you as your personality. But how do you go about researching something set in the 40s? Yeah. Well, luckily, we do have a lot of documentation. Yeah. Um, so I, like, trolled over a kind of newspaper, contemporary articles from the time. I looked at blueprints, the streets, I read stories. I listened particularly and had to really search out women's stories and women's voices from the period because they tend to be a little bit underrepresented mm -hmm. uh, still today, but obviously in the 1940s particularly, there was a focus on uh, the battlefield and the, the stories, incredible stories of the men there, but the women's stories are really fascinating as well. And we tended to not see so much of those stories. So I had to really search out those, um, you know, books about the, those women. Um, there's some wonderful biographies that have come out over the years now. Again, you have to search them out a little bit, but they mm -hmm. are there. So we're fortunate that we have photographs, we have footage, we do have documents. I've got 
old period maps and I wear the vintage clothes <laughs> like Billy does. Um, I do sew and mend like Billy does. So all of those things I had a pretty good organic sense of, like an authentic sense of. And then I chose about 99% of the locations in the book are real nonfiction locations mm -hmm. in Sydney and places you can go to. They've changed. Some of them are... You They've know, changed a lot, yeah. some yeah. of these places. Some of them are derelict or not safe to walk around, and other ones have just, you know, the, the Daking House, which is where Billy Walker's private investigation agency is. Uh, her office now is, like, in a building that's a, a YHA. It's a, it's a youth hostel. And you can stay in the Billy Walker room. Like, there's the corner suite is real, and, like, her balcony is real and all of that. So, so the people at YHA were just amazingly helpful. They toured me around, showed me blueprints. Like, we got into the basement, and they basically gave me an open invitation to stay in the Billy Walker room anytime. It's yeah. changed. Like, even the, like the size of the room is different now. It's, like, you know, like a bedroom size. But, you know, I can stand in Billy's balcony, and that's really cool. Did you find in your travels um, evidence of of women working as private investigators at this yes. time? Yeah, there were some. They were um, not the norm, and Billy mm. Walker's not the norm either, but she is actually quite realistic. Yeah. I mean, she and also her secretary's come assistant, he's realistic as well. So the dynamic between them sub <laughs> subverts the genre a bit. Like yeah. It subverts the genre and the expectations, but it's also authentic to what would be possible. It wouldn't have been the norm, but you've got a returned soldier who has injuries, and yeah. he's like, it's hard to get work. Yeah. Sure, he's going to work for a woman. He's going to work for someone like Billy Walker, and he's now she has a male secretary. And yeah. how much fun is that? But it's also true to the period and gives me an opportunity yeah, to have a little fun, and they have fun with each other about about that. Um, but it also does give me an opportunity to talk about issues that really did impact people when mm -hmm. they came back from the war, and how prevalent, you know, psychological and physical injuries and scars were, and how like everybody was so massively changed by this. It overshadows war. everyone. Yeah. Yes, it? that's right. That's right. So, yeah, there were private investigators at the time. As I mention in the book, though, it's sort of I allude to it several times and also speak directly to the fact that there wasn't a lot of um, oversight into like <laughs> who these people were and what they were doing. Mm. Uh, so the only real law that was specific to private investigators uh, or private inquiry agents was they couldn't call themselves detectives. Yeah, and that was different from the U.S. We were used to the old film noir, and they were all you know private detectives. And of course, the other term, private dick which um, Billy Walker clearly is not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really love Billy. She's, I've read a lot, but she's really stuck with me. Um, I'm swept up by her story because she is both, um, in her time, she isn't the norm, as you said, but she, you have done such a fantastic job at making her believable Thank you. as someone in that time. And, and as, as we said, yeah, I'd want to be her friend. Totally. I you mean, know? how much fun would it be to go <laughs> try the champagne cocktails at the dancers with Billy Walker? You'd have to keep looking over your shoulder. You and yeah, <laughs> keep an eye on your drink. That's right. That, keep yeah. an eye on your drink and all of that, which is part of Billy's world. Yeah. But... What a wonderful woman to spend time with. So I, as the author, fell in love with her and her, um, you know, her all the qualities that make her who she is, her flaws and her incredible strengths. And yeah, she's also surrounded by other really strong, interesting women who yeah. become the hero of their own stories in this book as well. Absolutely. And that was important to me. Yeah. One of them, I think the name is Shyla. That's right. Yeah. Um, she's a Wiradjuri woman. That's right. And she's... Um, 
she is a victim of protectionism, yes. essentially. She she was taken away from her family as a child and, and then uh, has come to Sydney and is in a domestic service. Yes. And she's friends with Billy. Yeah. Trying to f- She's feeding information in from these wealthy households and trying to get information from Billy to try and locate her brothers. That's right. Which I thought mm-hmm. was just terrific. Well, it felt like a perfect opportunity mm. to discuss these issues and the history of how Aboriginal people in Australia have been treated by the system, you know. Um, and the book th- overall has this through line of looking at the way we rank humans and how mm. human beings are treated differently if they're put in different categories. You know, this is a very big theme for World War II and the Holocaust and the human rights abuses from that time, but also in this book for each of the characters and how their individual journeys play out. But I saw an opportunity f- with Shyla because what a perfect informant for someone who wants to know what's going down in Sydney to have someone like her who's in those wealthy households and who has an incredible connection with, you know, for her, her mob, for these other Aboriginal women who are working in domestic service. They know everything, you know, they know everything that's going on. (laughs) And in a way, I found it surprising that this type of character hadn't hadn't come across a character like Shyla in detective fiction before, because that is exactly the sort of person who would know the real story of what was going on. Mm. And reading her, they they meet in um, a dining room Mm. in Grand Central, Sydney Central Station. Yes. um, With iron tablecloths and the white polished waiters. And I just... That in that moment was just encapsulated all the contrast at that time because yes. dining at Central Station is nothing like no. that. <laughs> no, really, you don't not. really do that at Central Station anymore. <laughs> um, they don't have those incredible tablecloths and all that, and the, and the tension in the room. You know, the whispers mm. of these yes. two women that look like they don't belong sitting together. But we know Billy and we know Shyla, and absolutely, they you know they're like very connected. Um, so it was, a, I guess, an opportunity to examine issues that were very true to the time but reflect and are relevant on the times today. You know, that was important to me. And in choosing 1946, I think it's like, it's yes, it's historical and yes, it's fiction, but there's a, a kind of a sense of it feeling like it's relevant right now. The rise of fascism, yes. the, you know, hate speech, um, bigotry, all of this stuff is like, it's happening right now. Like it's on our front pages everywhere. But Dead Man Switch gave me, as the crime genre does, it's one of the things that draws me to it. It gave me the opportunity to explore these social and political issues um, through the veneer of fiction. These fun conventions of genre. That's right. <laughs> um, if I know correctly, you now have a qualification in private investigation? I am a qualified PI, that's true. So I have a, a private investigator's license. At the time in the 40s, it was called, they were called private inquiry agents usually. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they were called private investigators as well. And they didn't, you didn't have to get a qualification. Actually, <laughs> Billy didn't have to do the certificate three that <laughs> I did. But I did get that because it was important for me to understand how it works. As much as one can research, I'll do it. I'm like a, I'm like a method writer. Yeah. Um, and I did go on, like, on cases, and ta- yeah. I tailed yeah. people, and it was um, super uncomfortable, actually, <laughs> because when you're following someone, and, like, they, you don't know if they've committed the crime or not, like, they're being investigated mm-hmm. because maybe they're up to something, but 
they could actually be innocent and you're following them around and they don't know that. Like it feels really weird. It's a morally um, very It's super tricky, uh, tricky. And uh, every time after I started to feel super, super guilty and it's like been nearly 24 hours following this person around and suddenly they do something, you go, oh my God, there they go. They're doing it. It's all, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason why they're being followed, but um, but I would not be sure. And yeah. my like, me as Tara Moss finds that uh, uncomfortable and weird. But then in the professional context, I go, oh yeah, I see. You know how this works. And in 1946, it was a necessary part of sort of the interactions in the world and marriages that if you wanted to get divorced, you needed to get proof of adultery and these mm. other kind of like unsavory things that we thankfully don't have to do now in the court system. So private investigators were necessary for that. And it was like not a pretty scene, you know, so that that was a lot of the work, her bread and butter for Billy Walker is, you know, women coming in with husbands that have been cheating on them or for some other reason they need to try yeah, to. And having a missing man uncouple. is kind of like a a breath of relief for them. So I got something <laughs> that's exciting right. to do. New, yeah. yeah, that's right. She's thinking, oh, you know, I only just finished this divorce case where I like ripped a perfectly nice pair of silk trousers jumping over <laughs> several fences after this man. And I like, oh, I'd love to give up divorce work for good. And then this woman walks in with a case that seems very simple and straightforward where her, um, her son is missing. And she kind of thinks I can do missing people. She, that's one of her trade parts of her trade. Um, but yes, it doesn't end up being simple at all, yeah. does it? Well, and what I love about it is that there's so many mysteries going on at once. It's not yes. just the mystery of the missing boy and of Shiloh's brothers. There's the mystery of um, her her husband. Yes, and she herself is a mystery. And That's you because you don't you don't know her in the beginning, and you will never know her fully. So the That's whole right. time you're just going, "What happened here? What happened there?" Yes, and you're on that journey with her. And I think that. Look, obviously it works for the crime genre and that's not, you know, it's not something that happened by accident. But at the same time, I think of people in their lives at that time and how many lives would have been filled with mystery. the tension of mm -hmm. mystery. Like, I don't know what happened to my loved ones or yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, where I'm going to have a roof, you know, over my head or, yeah. you know, all of those were very real and immediate issues. So the fact that everybody's been thrown in the air and shaken up and they've fallen into these different positions post-war is um ha brings its own authentic tension it's like i didn't even need to kind of find a way for strange things yes. to happen it was like that's what was happening that's it it felt completely natural you would yes. be just everything was different that's everything. right and she's that's the question it's like i'm am i a war widow mm. you know is he going to come back what happened to him and how many people would have that story there would yeah. have been so many people yes. there's not necessary not necessarily certainty and resolution unanswered questions absolutely yeah. um can i ask a little bit about of course you? sure yes. <laughs> sure ben yes you can uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you are living between two hemispheres yes uh, you're a successful author of fiction now a successful author of non-fiction a tv presenter how are you balancing all the stuff with difficulty like, <laughs> like we all are I, I don't think anyone is just one thing I guess for me it's um, so maybe a little bit more obvious because so much of it's um, in the public eye that's yeah. different you know that, that changes from day to day but yeah living in two different on two different continents is tricky so um, I got off the plane yesterday and you know I had to say bye for three weeks to my little girl and my husband and they're in Vancouver right now and I'll return to them and give them gigantic hugs. So living in two different places is tricky but also a, a privilege and if you're going to choose two countries to divide your time between, I say Canada and Australia, 
good choices. Pretty good, right? <laughs> Not bad. You know, and it's great to be a dual citizen and have that privilege as well. Um, but in terms of the work, I feel like um, there's a through line about women's stories and women's voices in everything that I do and have done for the last 20 years. And I sometimes choose different mediums to articulate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. So, you know, it will be like as a documentary host or a producer or a writer like I did with Cyber Hate. I'm looking at a few different stories, but obviously there was a real focus on women's stories and experiences of online abuse in that documentary. Whether it's that or it's the non-fiction books or the fiction, there's there's a lot of difference, but there's also that similarity that kind of runs as a through line through everything I do. And I feel like sometimes articulating a um, an idea best is done directly. It's like speaking to you right now, like we yeah. are. And sometimes it's writing it down mm -hmm. and sometimes mm -hmm. it's creating something visual. There's lots of mediums out there for communicating and all of them interest me. I'm a writer at heart, but the rest of it also feels, you know, like... You're rewarding. an activist. Yeah, yeah, I am, exactly. Um, and that's such a big part of your public persona. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you get a lot of hate? I do. <laughs> do you get trolled? Do you get yeah. one-star oh, reviews? Yeah. Oh, the reviews don't worry me. It's more the death threats. I, you can, that's really? bad. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was... Um, I can laugh about it, but it's not funny, of course. But I, I've been really fortunate, obviously, um, in so many ways. But that is one of the things that comes with the activism that I participate in is you know, you're going to get rape and death threats and that happens. It's mm. super weird that that happens and it's wrong and in many cases, like, actually against the law in the country mm. that they're doing it, but it still does happen. I shouldn't say obviously because it shouldn't be obvious at all no. that those things would happen. Yeah, right. However, it is what happens at the moment. It's one of the ways people try to shut down those who speak out and it happens to people in lots of different groups but women in particular tend to get a kind of sexualized violence aimed at them that's sort of like one yep. of the tools of trying to shut women down um and they're not going to succeed so you never stop <laughs> yeah. i'm not going to stop you were on the ground marching um in yes. the climate strike that's in right Vancouver. that's right it was huge it was a wonderful day with, with your um, daughter as well oh. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just wondering like what what's your take on the atmosphere at the moment it seems mm. that Young people and old people yes. together are all, um, you know, civil disobedience seems to be a more acceptable and <laughs> a more logical thing to do at the yes. moment. Uh, and there seems to be a big atmosphere of change. Do you think it's the climate emergency? Do you think it's the um, right wing misogynist despots in power around the world? Or is it something else completely? I think it's all linked. But I find what I find most interesting about the way you've positioned that is talking about like, how this is more, like there's more civil dis disobedience. And it's really funny in the context of the 40s. Mm -hmm. Like just think of, you know what I mean? Like how, how do we um, gauge more or less civil disobedience? Like at the moment, yes, there is probably not enough civil dis yeah, disobedience. Right. And if we were to compare that to the 1940s, uh, like it's not nearly as much as there was at the time. Like just think... At the time, if you were a people smuggler, you were like Irina Sendler, who saved 2,500 Jewish babies. She was against the system, rebelling and doing like the wrong thing, quote unquote, the whole time while she was doing the right thing, you know. Yes. Yeah. So... Like, my daughter really wanted to attend this protest, and she made her own sign. And I'm going to be like, it's not the first time we've, I've been to a protest, but I was like, I, I don't want to claim credit for getting her there. She wanted to do that. And that's um, a lot of the youth of today, they're cutting through all of this sort of um, 
this delay and a sense of like, oh, they, but you know, there's other things to think about. Oh, but can we, you know, it's like, no, no, this is your future. This is their future. And this is the world we're handing to them. And they're like, no, I don't want it to be, you know, I don't want to have this, these animals extinct. I don't want to have this level of pollution. I don't want to have this, you know, this level of global warming and all these other issues that they're going to have to live in when I'm no longer around. So, you know, I absolutely support the movement today, but I think it's important to look at human history and recognize how often civil disobedience has been absolutely necessary to get normal things done that we now take for granted, like women having the vote, yeah. which by the way, they weren't given the vote. Like, yeah. oh, that turn of phrase is always funny. They're given the vote. No, you know, like they fought for it and got mm. arrested. Got it. Yep, they got and it. And same with, what's happening now with the, you know, with Greta and with uh, the strikes, like, you know, yeah, I, I would say if it's nonviolent, but it's disruptive, that's good civil dis disobedience. And there's a long, very good history of that being incredibly important in the things that have made the world better. So like, I, count me as behind the youth, but make no doubt that like, they're the ones who are really excelling at this at the moment. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what project or I should probably say projects yeah are happening next Ooh. um well I you'll be unsurprised to hear I'll be writing another book with Billy Walker so I'm very excited <laughs> about that I'll be throwing myself into that very soon um and I'm in the research stages at the moment I've also got a fourth Pandora English novel coming out in March. Fantastic. So the first three novels in the Pandora English series will be re-released in February. And then in March, the long-awaited book four will come out. So that's exciting to see mm. Pandora mm -hmm. out there. Again, different because it's a paranormal series. It's fun. It's light. It's set in like an alternate New York. But the through line is, you know, these women as the central characters who are in charge of like, you know, the action that takes place. And that's you know, one of the things that drives me, I guess, as an author. Yeah. What else? There are so many projects that I, I want to have get <laughs> off the ground. At the moment, those are the ones that are really grabbing me, but I have more documentary projects potentially and television projects. And so um, we'll see what comes together. And you have um, this beautiful book that you need to and I have this beautiful zoom around book. the world talking about. That's right. And this is like one of my first interviews about it. And I feel like I've been sitting on this and like writing her and building this for so long. It's really delightful to have feedback and to like look at people who are reading it like look them in the eye and see that they're being I don't know they're like enjoying it or being drawn in or even touched by elements of these characters and what they're doing like that's makes it feel real the yeah. absolute best thing for an author that you can experience I think Thank you so much for thanks. coming in and thanks. hanging out Thank with you, us. Thank <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Um, Dead Man's Witch is published by HarperCollins. You can buy a copy of it right now, along with all of Tara's other books at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.